According to Merriam-Webster, which is the oldest dictionary in the US, the top word for 2023 was the word authentic. They claimed that there was a substantial increase in, in online searches for this word. And maybe it's not that surprising. After all, this is the year that we've heard about an explosion of impersonation and false information on what used to be called Twitter, now called X, if anybody knows that, after Elon Musk changed the policies about verified accounts. And there was this explosion of all these Twitter accounts that were claiming to be something that they weren't actually. There's also an upsurge of text and images and videos created by artificial intelligence that's blurred the lines between what is real and what is fake. And many of us have had these scam calls or scam texts from people pretending to be from Amazon or OnPost or Microsoft or a whole load of other groups. In fact, a man from Australia, he was recently charged with sending 17 million of these scam texts. So it's not surprising that many people have been searching for something authentic. Something that is real. Searching for people who are true to their identity, to their character, to their personality. But authenticity has always been important to God. The Bible has always taught us to be people of honesty, of truthfulness, of integrity. Some of Jesus' strongest words of of condemnation were, of course, against the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy, because they were pretending to be something that they were not. So this year, God doesn't want us to put on an act and try to become somebody. He, instead, He wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to live out who we really are. Then we need to think about, well, who are we? What is our true identity? And what would it look like for us to live this out in the year that's coming, in 2024? Well, over the next few months, God willing, we're going to spend some time looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's an incredible little four chapters eh, with so much for us eh, to learn. But today, we're just going to look at the first two verses. Because they remind us about who we are if we have put our trust in Jesus. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, just verse 1 and verse 2. And Alison's going to come and she's going to read for us this morning. Thank you, Alison. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Alison. Paul began this letter. Paul began this letter by... Am I right? Thank you. Paul began this letter by following the convention of his day. He said who this letter was from, who it was to, and he gave a word of greeting. That was the usual way that people began their letters in those times. But as often as the case, his greeting was slightly different, slightly unusual from others. The standard Greek way of of saying hello in a letter was the word greetings. Jewish people, they greeted each other with the word peace. So they often started their letters, greetings and peace. But Paul, he changed, he, he, he adapted this regular form of greeting into a Christian prayer. Grace and peace. To you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. That's because he knew that he was writing to sinners. Sinners who need the grace and peace that can come only through Jesus. This is the foundation of our Christian lives. Grace and peace. And peace. I don't know if you can remember back to the time, or maybe it's not been that long ago, when you were trying to learn to drive a car. It's not easy. I remember that. Roundabouts, that was the bane of my life. Hated them. Always too hesitant at roundabouts. Many people, they need a few attempts to, to, to learn how to drive and to pass their driving test. But Few people need as many attempts as a woman called Cha Sasun from South Korea. Incredibly, it took 860 attempts for her to pass her written theory test. And then another 100 attempts to pass her practical driving test. So if you did less than that, you did very well. You can pat yourself on the back. Now, most of us, none of us, have experienced failing driving tests as much as that. But all of us are familiar with failure, aren't we? Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like that woman chastens soon, we've all messed up again and again. We've all rebelled against God's rule and reign in our lives. We've all fallen short of His perfect pass mark. But unlike that woman from South Korea, no matter how many times we tried, we would never, ever pass that test. Whatever we do, we can never pay the debt that we owe to God. We can never make ourselves right with Him. So we need someone to pass that test for us. We need the gift of righteousness 
that we could never deserve or earn or merit. And that gift is the gift of God's grace. In His great love, Jesus passed the test for us. He lived a perfect life. He never once sinned in what He said or what He, said, what, what he did or what He thought. So when He died on the cross, He took upon Himself our sin. So that if we put our trust in Him, we can receive His perfect score. We are declared righteous in God's sight forever. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And the result of this is peace with God. Before this, we were enemies of God. We were separated from Him. We were heading to a lost eternity. But if we put our trust in Jesus, then since we've been justified through faith, we have been declared righteous through faith, that's what it means, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to Him. We've been accepted into His family. We've been made complete in Him. This, of course, is the heart of the Christian Gospel. This is the very core of Paul's message. As he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is what Paul told the people of Philippi when he went to them on his second missionary journey. People like the jailer who callously threw Paul and, and Timothy, or Paul and Silas, sorry, into an inner cell and put his, their feet in, a sto- in stocks even though their backs were bleeding from an unjust flogging. But this is also what he told Lydia, who was a respectable businesswoman, a worshipper of God. And yet she still was a sinner who needed God's grace. And this is what each one of us need to accept if we want to be saved. We need to accept that we are sinners and receive God's grace through faith in Jesus. If you haven't yet accepted that gift, then maybe today could be the day where you just simply accept that gift of God's grace through putting your trust in Jesus. But if we have been saved, if we have put our trust in Jesus, maybe many years ago, we are still in need of grace and peace. We don't start out our Christian lives as sinners in need of God's grace and peace 
and then continue their Christian lives through our own resources or through our own efforts or through trying to be good enough or trying to cover up all of our faults with a bit of religion, a bit of ritual, a bit of rules and regulations. It is by grace that we are saved and it is by grace we are sustained to live out our Christian lives. This is what Paul said about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. That was with me. Paul knew that the Christian life started with the grace of God, but continued with the grace of God. So in this letter, Paul knew that he was still writing to people who were sinners. People who continued to need to come to Christ for the grace and peace that they needed each day. And of course, we are the same, aren't we? This is what John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us, forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if we are going to live out who we really are this year, then we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to accept that we are sinners. We need to be honest about our temptations that are ongoing in our lives. We need to admit our weaknesses. We need to own up about our struggles and failures. Not to put ourselves down. Not to beat ourselves up. Not to condemn ourselves and walk away with God and say, I'm rubbish, I'm nothing, I can't do anything right. Not that kind of attitude. But we need to do this so that we continue to come to Christ for the grace and the peace that we need each day. So we can let Him continue to forgive us and to purify our hearts and transform our lives and make us more like Jesus. And the good news is, the great news is, as we'll see next time, that God is committed to this process. But we need to be willing to participate in it. We need to be willing to recognize ourselves as sinners in need of God's grace this year. But then secondly, we also need to accept that we are saints who belong to Christ. Excuse me. Paul addressed his letter here to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Now, in our culture, of course, when people talk about saints, 
They usually think about somebody who is especially virtuous or heroic or, or who has lived a selfless life. Or maybe somebody who, is, who has been martyred for their faith. In some traditions even, there are people that we can pray to for specific things. If you've lost something, or if you need money, or you need healing, or you need protection. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about saints. At all. The New Testament, the New Testament uses the word saint to describe every believer in Jesus. Similarly to the way that we would use the word Christian. A Christian is a saint. This word saint means someone who's holy or set apart. Isaiah, he heard the seraphs in heaven calling, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Because our God is a holy God. He is perfect in purity and power. He is completely separate from all of the corruption in this world. And Paul called the Christians in Philippi saints because they too were holy. They were separated from this world. They were set apart to God. And of course, they weren't like God because God is intrinsically holy. That's who He is and that's who He always has been. But for them, that wasn't who they always had been. And neither was it something that they deserved or earned or merited through themselves. As we've seen, they were sinners. Instead, they were saints because they were in Christ Jesus. It was Jesus who had made them holy through sacrifice on the cross. And they put their faith in him. So this was true of Lydia. That, that businesswoman who was the, the first person uh, to, be, to come to Christ under Paul's teaching in Philippi. She became a saint when the Lord opened her heart to respond to, to Paul's message. But this was also true of that cruel jailer in Philippi. He, he needed an earthquake to get his attention. But he also became a saint when he accepted Paul's message, which was to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. People from very different backgrounds, from very different experiences, and yet both of them were made saints. Both of them became holy through their faith in Jesus. And whatever background we are from, or whatever experiences we have had, whatever we have done or haven't done, if we have repented of our sin and put our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, then we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Today, if we put our faith in Jesus, then we are the saints. We are God's holy people, set apart from this world. 
and brought into a relationship with God. And if we hold on to that reality, then that should change how we live in the year that's ahead. We'll see this as we go through this letter in more detail over the next few weeks. But it includes things like confidence. As we're sure that we belong to God. And that He is going to continue His work of transformation in our lives. And one day He is going to make us just like Jesus. As we'll read next week, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It will also include certainty. As we know that we are citizens of heaven and that one day when we die, we're going to go to be with the Lord forever. So Paul says in chapter 1 verse 23, I desire to, to depart and be with Christ which is better by far also includes being part of a community. Because we're part of a family. The family of saints. And we are called to live with the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. But it also includes celebration. As we rejoice in all that Jesus has done for us. Paul will say in verse chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It will also include contentment. Being content, whatever the circumstances. Because if we have Jesus, then we have all that we need. So this year, as we step into it, We don't need to live with fear or guilt or shame or worry. Even as we hold on to the reality of our weaknesses, the limitations, our our failures, even as we recognize that we are sinners before God, We can also live this year with confidence, with certainty, with celebration, in community, in contentment, and community. Because if we've trusted in Jesus, then we are God's holy people. We are loved by Him. We are righteous in His sight. We are accepted in His family. We are held in His hand. We are empowered by His Spirit. And we're heading for heaven. This year we're called to live out the reality that we are saints who belong to Christ. This was true of Paul. He too became a saint when he put his trust in in God's grace on the road to Damascus. But Paul described himself a little bit differently here in this little introduction. He could have called himself a saint, a child of God, a citizen of heaven, a joint heir with Christ, an apostle, a church planter, a disciple maker, a scripture writer. But instead he described himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. This word servant, it literally means a slave. 
of Paul. He, he lived in an era when slavery was all too common. So he'd be very aware of the many barbaric and inhumane and degrading aspects of slavery. So that's not what he was talking about. Instead, Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ because he saw himself as completely and totally belonging to Christ. Completely owned by Christ. And because he understood that his role was to do whatever Christ commanded him to do. Whatever that was. Whatever that meant. But this wasn't forced on him. This was Paul's choice. Paul loved Jesus. And so he wholeheartedly wanted to live for him. He was passionate in his service for him. He served Christ from his heart. He said later in this chapter, for to me, to live is Christ. But Paul didn't just want that to be true of himself. He also wanted this to be true of the whole church in Philippi. Yes, someone had specific roles in this church. You may be noticed that he wrote to the overseers and the deacons. Overseers, that's the pastors, the elders in the church. The ones who have been given the responsibility to teach God's word and to care for God's people. The deacons, or the word that here is another word for servant. The servants, they're, they're appointed to serve in various ministries in the church. But as we will see, Paul wanted the whole of this church to have a servant heart. To have a heart like Christ's heart, when he, what he expressed when he went to the cross for them. He'll say in chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he described what that looked like in that beautiful poem that we'll have a look at in a few weeks' time. And throughout this letter, he showed what a servant heart would look like in terms of serving in prayer, serving in love, serving in evangelism, in fellowship, in suffering, in unity, in caring for others, in generosity. But of course, this isn't just for Paul and it's not just for the people of Philippi, but it's also how God wants us to live. If we've put our faith in Jesus, then we too are servants of Christ. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. So God's looking for us to have a servant heart. Not to be focused on ourselves, in our plans, in our agendas, in our blessings. But focused on serving Christ. The one who bought us with his own blood. This is how we live out who we really are in this year ahead. This is how we honour Christ. But this is also how we step into more and more the blessings of all that God has for us through Christ. 
think this is a crucial for us to grasp in understanding how we can experience what Paul writes about in this letter. As we'll see, Paul wrote about, about um, some amazing things that we would all love to have in our lives this year ahead. Things like abounding love, unwavering courage, future reward, amazing peace, sufficient strength, glorious provision. Again and again we're thinking, yes Lord, I would love that. And especially joy. This is a letter that's just packed full of joy. But if we take those verses out of context, we may think that our lives should just be automatically filled with all of these things. That somehow we can just sit back and let God just flow them into our lives in a kind of self-centered way. But that's not the way it works. If we do that, then I think that we're just going to end up in frustration and disappointment. These benefits are not enjoyed by those who live for themselves. Instead, they're experienced by those who who don't hold on to their independence, who don't hold on to their rights, who don't hold on to their plans, but rather what Paul described here, what Paul modelled here, is the experience of those who live as servants of Christ. Who accept that Christ is the owner of their lives. Who submit to His will. Who are, all, who are wholehearted and passionate in their service for Him. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, Whoever wants to save his life, just for himself, hold on to it, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for me and the gospel, will save it. It's in laying down our lives in service that we ultimately receive all that God wants. So this year, God wants us to live an authentic life. Not trying to hide who we really are. Not trying to become something that we are not. Instead, just living out who we really are. Sinners who are in need of the grace and peace that can only come from Christ. Saints who know that they belong to God because they've been made holy by Christ. And servants who are wholehearted and committed to live for 